Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. It is somehow October, which means you don't need me to tell you that winter is coming. And depending on where you are, you're seeing signs of this, right? It's starting to get chilly at night. Some of you have already seen snow for some horrible reason, which means you're probably packing in the next month, which as much outdoorsy stuff as you possibly can, just because that's the safest way to see people during this pandemic, which means I have a lot of questions about how to get through the next six months in Chicago once it really does start to get cold without completely losing my mind. And you probably do, too. Like, how are we going to even do holidays? Lucky for us, our guest today can help us figure that out. Her name is Emily Landon. She's an epidemiologist and infectious disease specialist at the University of Chicago. You might remember we had her on Nerdette back in June, approximately 17 million years ago. And now just seemed like a great time to check back in. Emily, hey. Hey, how are you? <laughs> good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's a uh, You're hanging in? Yeah, it's a it's a marathon, not a sprint. Uh-huh. I think, you know, for all of us. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you're not wrong about that. So For people who didn't get a chance to hear the first interview we did with you, the last time you were on this show, you talked about the idea of navigating different risks. And I feel like a lot of us have been doing pretty well exercising that muscle. Like I still haven't eaten inside a restaurant yet, but I've done some patios and that's been pretty lovely. But you also talked to us about the idea of caution fatigue and how, you know, people are starting to like get really tired of being so vigilant all the time. That's right. So what do you want people to keep in mind with winter coming? Well, I want to say, honestly, I want to say just hide in your house and hibernate and be like a bear. But that's, that's clearly not like an emotionally or mentally appropriate thing to do for the next, um, Mm -hmm four or five months. But I think the advice is going to feel a little bit like that. And so the trick is to figure out what things you can do that don't feel like hibernating, um, that, but that are still safe. Because the the alternative is to just give up and sort of say, well, screw it. I'm going to do whatever I want. And that's, that is not a good idea. And there's even more evidence that it's not a good idea now than there was the last time we talked. Yeah. So I want to talk to you about specific things people can do in terms of like pods and stuff this winter. But first, I'm really curious to ask you about holidays that are coming up because there are some big ones. Yeah, they're going to have to be smaller in scale than what we're used to, unless we want to see um, total, you know, mass destruction. Uh, Well, that's not fair. It's not mass destruction, just kind of like a little intense. 
Well, but it may feel like that for some families. Sure, sure, sure. So if you end up in a situation where, you know, you have a big family holiday or even a smaller family holiday, but you're not careful about it, you know, you can have multiple members of your family get really sick really quickly and end up losing family members yeah. over a holiday get together. And that, that is, that does, that's going to feel like mass destruction, but it's only going to be sort of random yeah. families. Yeah. And I really want your listeners for it not to be theirs. And that's, you know, how are we going to make that happen? And the answer is a little tricky because we know a lot about how coronavirus is transmitted a lot more now than we did before, but all the signs point to being inside as being kind of riskier, especially inside without your mask on. This whole aerosolized transmission thing is in a continuum with droplets. You can think of droplets as being a close-up problem, right? When you're um, within six feet of someone, you're likely to get droplets in your nose, mouth, or eyes, and that is probably the most risky situation. But you have to think of aerosols as kind of hanging out and filling up the entire room, sort of taking up the whole space. They're kind of like the person in your family who wears way too much aftershave and you can smell it (laughs) even after they've left the room. Totally. Or the guy at work who like the elevator smells like him long after he's used it. Totally. (laughs) Okay. So that's what aerosols are. And they, um, Uh if somebody doesn't have a mask on and the room doesn't get a lot of ventilation, you can see how somebody being there for 30 minutes is not as bad as somebody being there for an hour and a half, right? Because every time you open your mouth, more aerosols are coming out. And does that mean it doesn't matter even if they're 10 feet away? Yeah, that's why masks really matter because then you're holding in a lot of those aerosols. So imagine if they only sprayed their perfume underneath a patch (laughs) and you could just put a patch over the perfume smell. Sure, sure, sure. That would really help. That's what we're doing with masks. So that's why it's important for everybody to wear masks, not just the person who thinks they're at highest risk, because you've got to keep those aerosols out of the room. But Thanksgiving and Christmas and Hanukkah and New Year's, I think New Year's and and all the other stuff that we do revolves around eating and being together. And that is kind of the riskiest thing. We're also seeing that bars and restaurants that are indoor are the highest risk activities. CDC had this new uh, study out where they looked at a bunch of people that had COVID and a bunch of people that got tested for COVID, but didn't end up having COVID. Mm -hmm. And the biggest difference between the two groups was that the people who ended up having COVID were more than twice as likely to have eaten an indoor restaurant um, or been to a bar in the last week and a half, two weeks. And that includes a bunch of people who know they got it from their friends. So when you take out all the people that knew where they picked up their COVID from their, you know, their spouse or their family, your friend or whatever, the people who didn't know where they picked up COVID, they were even more likely to have been in a restaurant or bar. And so I think we have to be more measured about our holidays. So you can decide you want to eat with your family still, but then you want to go into that with as low risk of actually having COVID as possible. And so that means adhering to some sort of a personal stay-at-home order type thing in the days leading up to it, or everybody should do that. Does it seem possible to you then that if people are able to, you know, maybe even quarantine ahead of time or get tests that have negative results beforehand, then maybe they don't need to worry quite so much? A negative test like the morning of your get-together would be fine, but um, the more days you get past that test, it's not really representing what could happen because you could, you know, spend a whole day with someone with COVID, get tested the next day and be negative and still have COVID in like two days. So you can't rely on older tests. 
your best bet if you've got high risk people is for everybody to do a two week quarantine before you get together. And that means being extremely careful, no masks off in indoor environments, really limiting your contacts, no like hanging out with other friends. You mean during the quarantine, right? Yeah. Yeah. So one holiday we haven't talked about, which is kind of right around the corner is Halloween. Do you see that being a thing people can do? Like kids love trick or treating. Yeah, the good news is that people generally wear masks on Halloween. (laughs) That's true. I hadn't even thought of that. So we're like halfway there. So incorporate your mask into your costume is my number (laughs) one advice for Halloween. That's great advice. Totally. And I think trick-or-treating might be slightly different. Some people may not be comfortable eating homemade items from other families that they don't know. I would say you shouldn't hand up candy if you're sick or if you might have COVID or if you're in quarantine. That's a bad idea. Sure. And if you are a parent who's worried about your kid having picked up candy, you could always quarantine the candy mm. for a couple of days because if, it, if you let it sit for a few days, then any COVID that might be on the outside of it is gone. Just wash hands closely mm, and you know maybe choose alternate trick-or-treating options. You know, In my building, we have trick-or-treating and I would feel pretty comfortable with that because you're keeping your distance Everybody should be wearing a mask when they're answering the door. Mm-hmm. And our building will send out stuff that says, you know, definitely do not trick or treat with other families. Make sure you're wearing masks and keeping distance. Make sure you're just being careful about everything. And don't trick or treat if you're sick. Yeah. I have friends who were talking about how they got, you know, those like long arm grabber thingies. Yeah, that's a great idea. They were going to use those to hand out the candy, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, my son suggested that we give everybody wider mouth buckets and then we throw the candy into the buckets. And oh. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure. I don't think it's a great idea to let all the kids put their hands into the bucket and choose what they want. I think you need to put it into their basket at arm's length. Like you can hand it out with a long armed grabber, especially if you were to like, say, attach like um, a skeleton arm to it. Oh, yeah. There you go. So it looked super creepy. Uh, I'll give a shout out to we watched some wicked makers on YouTube my son really likes this channel and they made like a slide to slide the candy down that looks basically like a mummy like a slide coming out of a mummy arm and I was like oh yeah that would work so I'm guessing that at my house we're gonna have some sort of sliding mechanical system (laughs) for distributing candy at arm's length I love it be creative and if you're not gonna if you're not interested in being creative just make sure you're handing out the candy and you're cleaning your hands and and have a plan as a parent with what you want to do for this. So I want to get back to the pod thing because this is something I've been thinking about a lot as a person who lives alone. I mean, I have a cat and a dog, but they're not super chatty. And, you know, I'm going to lose my mind if I don't get to spend time inside with people. But it sounds like you're saying if I am able to quarantine, like I'm working from home, I can order groceries, I can, I could even take a COVID test and find out that I'm negative. That means it would be okay for me to like spend a Saturday with friends and like actually hug their two-year-old and not be a monster. Well, yeah, I, I think, you know, everybody needs up close and unmasked contacts. Yeah. This is a, just a reality of life. The, the point is just to keep that group low, that number low. Mm-hmm. And here, here's the thing. I think people get confused because they hear gathering limits of like 25 and they think, oh, great. I can go out with five friends on Monday and then five other friends on Tuesday and I'm way right. below the gathering limit. And then all of a sudden, yeah, that's exponential growth too. Yeah, but you have a huge number of close contacts. Everybody should be trying to have like five to 10 
up close and unmasked contacts over the course of like a 10 day period. Uh-huh. And th- this is what we're telling our college students, too, at University of Chicago. We're, we're telling them, we know you need to spend some time with some people without a mask on. That's cool. Just it has to be a small number. Choose some people that are your lifeline, your up-close and unmasked contacts. And if you, you, know, if you live alone, you get a lot more choices. People who live with big families, they're kind of <laughs> stuck. That's, that's a really nice way of looking at that. I hadn't thought of it. <laughs> But you gotta you gotta make sure that the other people are kind of bought into this too. Otherwise, they're going to be bringing a lot of risk to you. So you know, I would make a pact with some people. We have we quarantine or quarantine family with mm. the family across the hall, and they are our up close and unmasked contacts. That's it, you know. And then also my mom. But we're really pretty careful when my mom's coming over. We're seeing yeah. her. Yeah. But otherwise, we're um, you know those are the people that we are unmasked with. And, and to be clear, they're the only, you're, you're the only people that they're unmasked with also. And that's why it works. Yeah. I think they might have one other contact person that they occasionally see from their family. Yeah. But like, it doesn't matter that we're the only person. We just know that they have a limit. They have a solid limit. They're not going to be with more than like five or seven people. And then we're not going to be with more than like five people. My son goes, you know, his dad lives in the suburbs. So he's, um, he also has contacts with that family, which is what made me start to think about this (laughs) and the fact that this is literally your job (laughs) yeah well you know but like it was trying to describe to him you know you can have an unmasked friend that you hang out with pretty close at your dad's and you can have a a couple friends you know our friends across the hall here but you you can't have more than that and that's because you have all both of these families and that he got that and that I think public health, I, I mean, I've been trying to talk about this more and more, and I think we could do a better job of messaging that from a public health standpoint, especially going into the winter. That's how I would handle yeah. it. That's how I'm going to handle it. Yeah. Is like, just pick some people. And then it seems also just like over communicate all of it with them too. Right. Yeah. It's, you don't have to have just your one little bubble. It's just that the people that you're seeing that you pick to put inside of your bubble also need to be having a bubble. Like it can't right. be every, like, you don't want to choose somebody that has like 27 close contacts and let them in your bubble. And if somebody messes up because they go to a party, they're like, the only thing I want to do is go to a new year's party. And you're like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. But, um, (laughs) you just say, fine, wait two weeks after that before you come back in my bubble. Right. There you go. Yeah. More from Dr. Emily Landon about the winter flu season, vaccines, and when this is all going to end in just a minute. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. So what are you most worried about when it comes to this winter as an infectious disease specialist? Well, I'm less worried about flu. There's a lot of talking about flu. Yeah. I think we'll see more flu, but not until people start getting the COVID vaccine and then they start being a little bit more lax. 
I'm worried that the COVID vaccine will be, or the COVID vaccines will be um, spun as now you can go back to normal life and they're probably not gonna be that effective. They're gonna be mm. partially effective, like as good as wearing masks or maybe not even as good as wearing masks. And mm. that'll really make things better for everybody. But you still have to take precautions if there's a high proportion of people in your community that, that have COVID because your vaccine may not be 100% effective. So if you're lucky and you get an early dose of an effect, a pretty effective vaccine, but it's only 70, 50%, 50 or 70% effective, you still have to be careful. I think people might mess that up and we might see um, problems because of that. But I definitely think that's when flu will come around. So I think we're unlikely to see a ton of flu, but that's only if we continue to follow the precautions for COVID. COVID seems to be more transmissible than flu. So what about mutations? Does that, is that a thing that freaks you out? Because that really, like, I can't even think about that because that sounds so horrific to me. There's been too many books about mutations than sci-fi. <laughs> okay, in real, in real life. It's like, oh, good, new COVID, just what we needed. Nah, like, viruses uh, do this all the time. They're just, that's just okay. what they do. And, and coronaviruses are not that bad. Like influenza, the reason you need a new flu shot every year is because it mutates so much that you need a new flu shot yeah. every year. So like, oh. it's much worse. Um, this, this is not as bad. And I think okay. that these, these changes are going to either, oftentimes what happens is that you have to give up something in order to be more contagious. And so sometimes what, hopefully what ends up happening and often what ends up happening is that you're a little less lethal as a virus if you are more able to be transmitted from person to person. And that may be why we're seeing huh. lower death rates right now, but that's really co confounded by the fact that we get better at treating these things. We get better at identifying mild cases. And we've been mostly seeing cases in young people. Older people are still kind of avoiding, and people with risk are avoiding crowds and avoiding people and avoiding anything. And so right. I think that that is also why we're seeing lower death rates. And I don't think that's, I'm not sure how well that's going to hold because when things come inside, then it's harder to avoid other people if everybody's inside, you know? Yeah. So... So the $10 trillion question, when is this going to be over, Emily? <laughs> well, this is actually, this is one of the more, I don't usually say very political things, but I'm going to say something real political. Okay. I'm really hoping, I'm really optimistic that we're going to be able to do what we need to do to make sure that the vaccine's safe. Vaccines, mm -hmm. uh, I will say. But now, mm -hmm. getting the vaccines out to people um, these vaccines are tricky. Like they have to be stored in these minus 80 freezers, some of them, and some of them have to be in minus 20. Not everybody has that. Like not every clinic or vaccine station has a minus 80 freezer. We don't have them in our farms. Yeah, that's really cold. Huh. These sort of logistics of getting those vaccines moved around, getting them stored, not having them get destroyed in the process. And then some of them, once they're out of their minus 80, have to be used within five days, some within two days, which it you're beginning to see how the scale of logistics of this is going to be really tricky. And you could really F it up. <laughs> it could be, it could be super messed up. And given the track record of where we are with distributing mm -hmm. even masks and ventilators and remdesivir, I think if you uh, look into that a little bit, like there was a point where we had so much remdesivir we didn't need and Florida didn't have any and we couldn't get it to them. So there's a lot of issues with the supply chain and the distribution and the logistics that have been happening in the past four years that haven't been part of the political vernacular. But I think it is absolutely essential. If we do not have a good logistics supply chain for getting this vaccine out, I think we're looking at a couple more years of problems. 
problems. Mm. I think if we get the vaccine out and everything goes smoothly and people get the second doses of whatever they got the first time and they can get the people in to get them within five days before it goes bad and you can see how this is going to be tricky. Um, if we dedicate the resources and have the discipline to do that right, we could be in much, much better shape by the end of the summer, maybe even the beginning of the summer next year, or definitely by winter of next year. But I mean, that statement is a political statement. I'm telling you that I have no evidence that the current federal government response is going to be capable of doing this. Emily Landon is an epidemiologist and infectious disease specialist at the University of Chicago. For up-to-date information about the coronavirus, you can visit cdc.gov. All right, that's it for today. Our show is produced by me with help from Justin Bull. Our intern is Isabel Carter, and our executive producer is Brendan Banaszak. Next week, we're doing something a little different, which means we're going to take Tuesday off, and then we're going to have like a whole new cool episode for you on Friday. I can't wait to hear what you think of it. You're going to love it. Okay, bye. See you Friday. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.